This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking to Tom Mole, a specialist in British Romantic poetry and the cultural artifacts associated with literature. When we think about the generation before us, we might feel that their cultural touchstones aren't relevant today. But Tom Mole argues that the literature of the past only survives because the next generation find new ways to make it relevant. In the Victorian era, new illustrations for the previous generation's poetry helped update the image of writers like Byron and Wordsworth in ways they couldn't even have imagined. And just so you know, you can see all the illustrations Tom discusses on our website. Tomol, welcome. Thanks very much. It's nice to be here. So we're going to be talking about the Romantic poets and their legacy after their deaths. So when I was an undergrad, I was made to study the big six Romantic poets. Those were Wordsworth, Coleridge, Blake, Byron, Shelley, and Keats. Um, and those were seen as really central to all of literary history in English, but I gather that that was by no means a given and that at the end of their own lifetimes, it could have gone a different way. They might have been forgotten. Is that right? Well, so the Romantic poets really die in kind of two waves. Okay. There's a a wave of deaths (laughs) around the 1820s and 1830s. Shelley dies in 1822. Byron dies in 1824. And then there's a sort of gap until a little bit later where you get the deaths of Wordsworth in 1850 and others who have been much longer lived. And between those two moments, there are still many people alive who did know those writers. But increasingly, they're starting to slip from the realm of memory into the realm of history. And that means that for the first time, they start to need different kinds of stewardship to keep them in the public eye. Because actually moving into the realm of history doesn't mean that they're going to become seen as like great and important writers. It could just mean that they're like a historical relic. That's right. I mean, it could be that they're about to disappear, that they're about to slip into the mists of history. And so there's lots of anxiety about whether these writers are going to be remembered. And partly as a result of that, there's lots of efforts to make sure they're remembered, to make sure they're republished, that they're talked about, that they're um, illustrated, for example. And that's really what I've been interested in, is all those kinds of efforts to yeah. keep them in the public eye and to structure their reputations after their death. And and so um, you mentioned illustrations, and that's something that um, I'm really interested to focus on more. Um, so is part of the idea there that illustrated editions are um, reshaping their reputations, you know, for this new generation? It absolutely is a project that seeks to update, embellish, renovate romantic writing into new kinds of edition, new kinds of books, and books particularly that are going to compete in a print marketplace where increasingly modern books appear with illustrations. And that was sort of then retroactively applied to the Romantics? Did they, Were their editions originally not illustrated then? That's right. Okay. So Victorian books are often illustrated books. That's much less often true 
of books from a generation before. Okay. Um, I read these illustrated editions as being kind of implicitly concerned with the time that's elapsed between the deaths of the Romantic poets and the moment that these editions are coming out. And I mean, is illustration where the illustrations are depicting scenes from the poems themselves, it it kind of seems to me like that almost by definition is sort of bringing it into the present, right? Like you can look at that scene and it is present before your eyes. Um, and so it does kind of make it seem like it's it's happening in the moment rather than that it, you know, happened 30 or 50 years ago when the poem was written. I have some examples that make this point really nicely where they actually have kind of updated scenes from the poem. So there's a great um, example, uh, an edition of Byron's Don Juan published by Charles Daly in 1852. Don Juan, in the course of that long poem, visits different countries and um, finds himself in different situations. And as he does that, he changes his appearance quite drastically. He wears different kinds of clothes. When he goes to Greece, he wears traditional Greek dress. So this is all within the poem that 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 is described. That's right. Um, And this this edition has uh, a number of different engravings. Here, we see Dewan has arrived in England. And he's wearing not just... English dress, mm-hmm. but Victorian English dress. Okay. This uh, tailcoat, this kind of waistcoat with the shawl collar, the moustache and sideburns, these all mark him as Victorian. And they're fashionable in the Victorian period. They wouldn't become fashionable until after Byron's death. So Byron couldn't have seen these fashions? No. Okay. And so this is a really interesting decision on the part of the illustrator we don't actually know the name of the illustrator in this case but whoever it is he or she has made this interesting decision to depict you and not just traveling to england but to victorian england yeah so we're, we're in the poem where when was the poem set so the that's actually a slightly complicated question oh, okay um it's there are historical events in the poem from the 1790s at the same time, the poem often recalls Byron's moment of greatest fame in Britain, which is sort of 1812 to 1816. But it also, just to add another layer of complexity, <laughs> refers to the period in which it was written, 1819 to 1824. So it sort of has this layered way of approaching time, that it's sort okay. of the events of the poem seem to be unfolding in roughly the 1790s, at the same time, it's clearly remembering a period a little bit later in the 18-teens. And at the same time, it's referring to the period of its composition in the early 1820s. So actually, the poem itself has this kind of uh, ambiguity about what time frame it's taking place within. That Then this illustration is just taking a step further. Exactly. It has The poem has a sort of layered representation of time. Yeah. And this illustration adds another layer. And what that's doing, I think, is inviting readers of this edition 
not to think of Don Juan as a satire aimed at the 1820s or the 18-teens or even the 1790s, right? Yeah. It's not about something that happened 50 years ago or even, you know, 70 or 80 years ago. It's something that's still relevant now. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to kind of, uh, for myself, get a sense of the differences in dress and what they would signify. So this illustration is from 1852 and the character Don Juan is from somewhere between 1790 and 1820. So um, it's at least 30 years uh, in the future, 30 to 50 years, 30 to 60 years. So I'm imagining a character who was in like, existed in the 1950s or 1940s and how strange it would be to sort of dress them in in modern clothing of today it's a generational shift that they're trying to deal with right? yeah and you know what this illustration is telling you i think is don juan is not your parents poem it's your generation's poem okay um it's it's available to uh to victorian audiences right in a way that you know it might on its own not seem to be i'm just going to check this t um let's see if that's working that oh, looks, looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Should I pour you some tea? Thank you very much. Okay. So the things we've been talking about, the way in which illustrations can update or renovate uh, works of a previous generation for a new generation of readers, that happens really clearly when the illustrations are photographs. Because there we're talking about not just a new set of illustrations, but a set of illustrations in a new medium, a medium that Wordsworth, Coleridge, Byron could not have known about. Yeah. And so there the modernity of the illustrations is really pronounced. And you see this in a book called Our English Lakes, Mountains and Waterfalls, as seen by William Wordsworth. It comes out in the 1860s. And it has a selection of Wordsworth's poems in and then a number of photographic illustrations done by a photographer called Thomas Ogle. And there's one example, which is Ogle's photograph of Brougham Castle. And that's an illustration to Wordsworth's poem called Song at the Feast of Brougham Castle. That poem is a, a kind of pretend minstrel's song. So it... it, it is it sort of a, a singer... A poet from a much earlier age. Exactly. Kind of so you, yeah. Wordsworth is imagining the minstrel singing this story at a feast at the castle, you know, in the medieval period right. sometime. So there's another interesting temporal layering here, a bit like what we saw with Don Juan, yeah. where you've got a, a poem about a 600-year-old castle that was written sort of 60 years previously that's now being illustrated in a medium that's only 30 years old photography and that photography itself has this kind of at least illusion of of presentness right like it it that's right depicts the thing that was physically present in front of the camera at the moment that it was taken and that's all it can do that's sort of hardwired into the medium you can't take a historical photograph you can't take a you know a (laughs) photograph of what this scene looked like 20 years ago you can only take a photograph of what it looks like now 
the moment yes. you press the button and open the shutter. Yes. Um, and so that kind of temporal dislocation is already sort of built into the medium of photography. But interestingly, what Ogle does is he doesn't try and disguise that. He actually makes it even more prominent by including in the foreground of his photograph of Brougham Castle oh, yeah. two people. And they're clearly modern people probably a tourist and a guide one of them's okay. wearing a top hat that's very kind of modern and fashionable um and this is a period when modern middle class tourism in the lake district is only just starting to get going and these are clearly modern people in modern dress engaged in a modern practice they've been captured in a modern medium of photography you know what's this saying it's saying wordsworth is a great poet but he's not a great poet because his poems continue to offer the same kind of rewards the same kind of pleasures or satisfactions rather it suggests that Wordsworth is a poet who will continue to interest readers because he can be embellished in new ways because he can be made to offer new satisfactions in other words Wordsworth is actually a little bit like Brougham Castle Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Broome like Castle that. is, you know, it, it, it's no longer what it once was, but now it's still shaping the itinerary of modern tourists, shaping the practice of modern photographers, of modern illustrated book publishers. And so Wordsworth's poetry is perhaps, you know, not offering the same kind of pleasures and satisfactions that it did. Yeah, but to it's your parents' generation. Right, but it's available to offer new kinds yeah. of pleasures and satisfactions. Yeah. And interestingly, the the illustrated books seem to be kind of implicitly suggesting a, a rather different model of why a poem continues to be relevant or continues to be read than was common elsewhere in Victorian culture, including in the prefaces to some of these books okay. where someone is saying... Byron is a great poet. Byron stands the test of time. He does so because he transcends his historical moment. And yet what these illustrated editions are suggesting is that literature doesn't endure because it transcends its historical moment so much as it endures because it's capable of being reappropriated and remade. For this moment repeatedly at different historical moments yeah that's to me is is really it makes sense but it was surprising to me to kind of have that idea initially like that in order to make someone kind of secure as a classic and as someone who who has to endure for all eternity they do have to be made to seem contemporary and new and like they could be writing right now in this present moment and that that happens over and over again. Mm. Has to happen over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's right. Literature doesn't survive on its own. You know, it survives as a result of the agency of lots of different people who are appropriating it for their own ends and reusing it in ways that might be quite unexpected to its authors mm. and might be beyond yeah. the, you know, beyond They'd the... never have dreamed of it. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't have dreamed of photography, for example. Exactly. Well... Tom Mull, thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip on the publishing practices and new technologies that fueled the illustration boom of the Victorian era. 
To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at How to Read Now. This episode was recorded by Jess Engerbretson and was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.